Okay. Okay. We're calling this meeting to order. Welcome everyone to the January 19, 2023 meetings of the Parks and Open Space Commission. I'd like to call this meeting to order and say Happy New Year to you all and thank you for being here today. Just a reminder to everyone that this meeting is being con conducted in hybrid format so members of the public can participate online using the Zoom link posted in the agenda. We will now move, to, uh, move on to item number two on our agenda, public comment. For items that are not on the agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My question is, um, how do you d determine the designation of fire road versus trail for your systems? And I guess specifically why I'm asking is the deline delineation is on a trail, a dog has to be on leash. and a fire road, that's not true. My specific question pertains to what's called the Crestwood Trail, which is just across the highway here, which joins into Ridgewood Fire Road. Crestwood Trail requires a dog on leash. Um, I had my dog off leash and was, um, got a ticket from a park ranger who said that this was a trail because it was too narrow. Um, I have a photo showing it's at least 100 feet wide and so I'm just very curious why that was chosen to be called a fire road. I've seen fire trucks there, park ranger trucks there, and yet it's called a trail. But my question is, dogs on leash for that purpose? Uh, Peter Eisel. Yeah, we'll take note right then. Yeah, and if you want to ask, because we'll go through all the public comment, and then we can respond to it. So if you want to ask Al if there's anybody, speakers on Zoom as well. Oh, okay. Anyone on, on Zoom online uh, that has a, a comment? No? We don't have... Uh, Al? Do you have anyone on, on, online for a comment? Not hearing any. No, no response. Do you hear anything from? Sorry, hold on. Yes, we'll hold. There we go. Technical issues. Well, while we wait, I can remember, I remind you that members of the public wishing to comment on items that are not on the agenda are welcome to do so under the public comment item. 
Please note that commissioners are not authorized to engage in discussion around comments made during this item due to the requirements of the Brown Act. Each speaker will have up to three minutes to make their comments. Since this is a hybrid meeting, we will first look to members in the audience, which we already did, and then we'll move to the online, but we're still figuring out if. Audio check, one, two. Excellent. So do we have any uh, anyone who, with comments for items not on the agenda? Yes, we do. Uh, Mr. Minikus, please unmute. Can you hear me now? Go ahead. Yes. Lovely. Good afternoon, commissioners and staff. And I actually have something positive to, to report. Uh, positive and negative, actually. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, hiking one of our very steep trails right between rainstorms and much to my chagrin, uh, three mountain bikers passed me on the way down. I hiked to the top, hiked down again, and six more passed me. So I, I filed a report on the 12th. And would you know it, I was hiking there on the 13th. And guess what? I come down, it's, it's, it's a little bit rainy, and there is a, a Deputy Joseph Garcia waiting at the entrance a day after I, I reported the incident. And I can't tell you how much I appreciated um, uh, his presence at that time. And I thought it was above and beyond. And I just want to acknowledge that and say thank you. And that's it. Chairman Wardala, there are no additional speakers in the queue. And then we will move to the next item, which is that. I can, or, or you I can, can just quickly respond that, okay. um, and I think we followed up with that individual, but that we can connect folks that have questions about the road and trail system with our team to help answer those questions. And we'll follow up. Thank you, Max. Um, well, I'll turn over to Max for the director report. Great. Thank you, Commissioners Max Corton, Director of Marin County Parks. And I'm just going to be brief because we have a lot of items. Um, first, uh, I wanted to apologize in advance. And um, just uh, if you're seeing things that look familiar here, um, you're, it makes sense because we had to we have to repeat some of the items from our or all of the items from our September meeting. Um, we, you know, as you may remember, we had some technical difficulties uh, in that September meeting, and so. Some members of the public that were participating remotely were not able to join uh, the meeting that day. And so out of an abundance of caution to make sure that community members have the opportunity to speak on those items, we have re-noticed it and we'll have them again on today's uh, agenda. Um, and so those are all of the items uh, after item seven, I believe, uh, are, are those re-noticed items from September. And then uh, the last thing I just wanted to report is the last month we have been busy with all of these storms. It's been great to see so much uh, rainfall and water and the uh, reservoirs filling up and uh, the hills turning green. Um, and our teams have been out busy with storm patrol and also supporting our emergency operations center. Uh, but really uh, pleased to report that we didn't have to close any of our parks um, you know, the, the road and trail work that our teams have done over the past uh, several years has made our system of fire roads and trails much more sustainable. And so we had a lot less uh, landslides and other issues that we've had in the past. Um, and then additionally, a lot of the vegetation management work, we we're able to remove and prune uh, hazard trees in our park sites. So 
we didn't have any major closures of our uh, regional parks, which you know feel really <coughs> lucky to have weathered the storm so well. So a uh, big thanks to the team for being out there in the rain and also to all the work that helped prepare for it. Okay, we'll move to the next item. Take public comment on uh, the- Public comments. On the, okay, we'll take public comment first in the audience. And then we'll ask online if there's comments or questions online. Chairman Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay. So we move to the next item, which is the-, the If commissioners have any questions. Oh, sorry. <laughs> would this be an appropriate time to introduce our newest commissioner? Sure, that would be great. Okay. Are, can, I can't remember. No, they did. We I think, I think we, were we did last time, but we can do it again because yeah. uh, Carolyn wasn't here last time. Carolyn we can reintroduce here. them. You here. Yes. Thank we can you. start with Carolyn. And yep. can, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, good afternoon. My apologies for missing the last meeting. We'd had a long planned family vacation, and so uh, couldn't make that meeting, but very, very happy to be serving with the rest of you on the, the commission. Uh, a couple words about my background. Uh, I was a practicing environmental lawyer for 40 years. First half of my career was spent in private practice doing uh, Clean Water Act work, wetland restoration, uh, contaminant cleanups. Second half of my career was spent working for the Department of the Interior uh, working with the National Park Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and U.S. Geological Survey, uh, working on a variety of park, open space, and restoration issues. So it's, uh, it's wonderful to have this opportunity, though I will say after all those years at the Department of Interior as staff, it's a little daunting to be on the other side of the, uh, of the uh, I won't say table, but of the dais. But looking forward to working with all of you. Thank you. Thank you and welcome. Yeah, she was. Okay, okay. We can. Okay, we'll move to the item number four, which is approving the minutes held for the meeting held on May nine, May nineteen and November seventeen. So two meetings. Move approval. I second. Okay. Any. Comments in the of the draft minutes in the chamber? Online? Chairman Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Excellent. So let's move to item number five. Yeah, you'll have to call for a vote to approve oh. those. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Call for a vote. Uh, we'll call for a vote. Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay. We unanimously approve the minutes. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Okay, move to item number five, which is the election of the officers for 2023. As we know, um, we need to, we're looking to fill the role of chair, vice chairs, and second chair. Um, and I will turn over to discussion for the commissioner for proposal or, or 
Any motion? I move that we uh, elect Oscar Godardo as the chair. As chair? Okay, and any, any second? I second it. Okay. Let's, uh, about vice, vice chair? There you go. You got it, Larry. I nominate Michael Diet, first vice chair. Second. Michael Bayer, okay. Michael Bayer. And I believe and Yolanda is the second chair. Second chair. Any second? I second. Yolanda. What's your last name, Yolanda? Oviedo. So we have Oscar Guardado for chair, Michael Bayer as vice chair, and Yolanda Oviedo as second vice chair. Okay, so we want to do both. Can we do all three? On, we all three? We do so, all three? So probably do all three, but just want to make sure that everybody's, A, who just got nominated is comfortable with that, and B, make sure everybody understands what the role is. So. If there's any questions, now would be a good time. Otherwise, uh, certainly um, before you call for a vote, I think we want to go to public comment. Um, but you know, I think that's that's kind of where we're at. So. Second vice chair has to bring coffee and donuts. <laughs> Cookies. Okay. Yeah. Is there any other other proposal that you wanna do or any comments on public? Commissioners. Oh, no, online? Chairman Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. There are no speakers in the queue. Okay, so we can call for a vote on the. So I think I'm just going to want to, I want to clarify the motion and make sure I got it right. So we have a motion for, motion by Rafel, second by O'Brien for Chair Gordado, um, Vice Chair uh, Michael Diet, and second Vice Chair uh, Yolanda Oviedo. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, okay. so go ahead so let's for a vote. Got for a call for a vote. All, all, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, moving approval unanimously. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, let's move to the next item, which is um, number item number six: vegetation management work plan. This is an informational item that, that will be presented by the staff. Thank you, commissioners. Uh, so I'll just give a quick introduction. Uh, and Sarah Minnick, who's our fire and vegetation ecologist, will present this. Um, this is something that we do every year. It's part of our, our work plan process for the upcoming uh, fiscal year. And typically, we bring this first presentation in January. And then we come back to your commission in March with a more detailed plan that you take action on to recommend to the board. <clears throat> and. Uh, you know, the really cool thing now, and maybe Sarah's going to talk about this, I'm not sure, but we, we did describe it, I think, in, in, one, in a previous item, one of the last meetings, is that we are now um, doing our planning process with the Marin Wildfire Protection Authority at the same time. So they bring pro all the fire agencies through them, bring projects to us. We bring this informational item to you. We're also bringing this same stuff to the MWPA's team, 
and uh, and then it's an iterative process back from them back to your commission, and that all comes to a recommendation to the board. And so it's a great, I think it's a great way of capturing both an opportunity for the public to get information and engage, and also for your commission to weigh in and help us um, uh, plan this really important part of our work. That I'll turn it over to Sarah. Um, son, okay. Um, Hello, um, it's nice to, to be here. I think this is my first meeting um, in person. In a, <laughs> um, so it's good to see you all. Um, uh, and I think there are some new commissioners here who I haven't uh, met in person, so um, it's nice to, to see you. Um, my name is Sarah Minnick. I'm the vegetation and fire ecologist. Um, and because there are a few new folks, uh, my background just a, a little bit is just um, some graduate, a graduate degree in um, conservation science, and then uh, a number of years um, with the Department of the Interior Park Service out at Point Reyes National Seashore before coming here about eight years ago. And, um, and I've been here ever since, um, enjoying this work. So happy to be here today, um, talking about our vegetation management uh, program of work for the coming year. There we go. Um, so I want to start with just a little bit of background. Um, our work is guided by the Vegetation and Biodiversity Management Plan, which provides comprehensive long-term guidance for a data-driven approach to vegetation management. Um, and it um, gives us these three main goals um, to focus on um, maintaining and enhancing our natural biodiversity on our lands, uh, maintaining our patrol emergency and public access, and then uh, managing fuel loads to reduce wildfire risks and impacts. And the work that we do is um, funded in large part by Measure A, um, which was passed in just in March, about a year ago. Um, and that measure uh, allocates 65% of the funding to our parks and open space preserves, and then the rest to sustainable agriculture and cities, towns, and special districts. So um, of the 65% that we uh, use in our parks and preserves, 25% um, of that is allocated toward on-the-ground fuels reduction work, um, which we uh, recognize as being critical to um, the safety of our communities and uh, also the safety and um, health of our uh, natural lands. So focusing on um, that fuels management work, uh, which is a, a big part of what we do, um, we are estimating that um, the funding will be about 2.6 million for that type of work, and about half of that will go towards defensible space uh, um, management, so the areas right next to people's homes, uh, usually within 100 feet, but uh, immediately adjacent to um, our uh, neighbors, and then, um, and structures, and then also to fuel break construction, where we are um, reducing the fuels in an area uh, to, to a point where we, uh, if there were to be a wildfire, that the fire behavior could change and become more manageable, um, giving uh, fire responders a better um, success at controlling the fire and saving homes in those areas. 
And then we have um, another portion of our budget that we use to maintain all of those defensible space areas and fuel breaks that we have created in the past. So um, it's work that is ongoing. Once we start working in an area, we want to continue maintaining that, um, that same situation of reduced fuels into the future. And then um, we also do road and trail corridor pruning just to keep our fire roads, uh, which are critical for fire response, also emergency response, um, keeping those open um, for any uh, emergency vehicles that need to use them. And um, also hazard tree maintenance uh, that occurs on our preserves. Uh, and one of our um, biggest partners is the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority that Max mentioned. Um, we work closely with them and the local fire agencies who are members of the authority um, and also with uh, the community groups out in all of our neighborhoods and fire jurisdictions to identify projects, um, identify different work that needs to be done and plan how and uh, when to do that work. And the, all the projects we do are driven by the um, Marin Community Wildfire Protection Plan and the goals that it sets out, and that was another partnership between um, a lot of different agencies and organizations in the, the county all coming together to identify priorities around um, wildfire protection. And the um, MWPA also um, provides funding uh, for those local fire agency projects, um, and we're able to use uh, kind of a combination of our Measure A funds, uh, additional grant monies, um, and those uh, MWPA funds to leverage um, among those different funding sources and, and expand or enhance our projects in a way that we would not be able to do as individual um, agencies. So part of our um, partnership with uh, local fire or county fire um, department it are these uh, fuels management crews that are critical to the work that we do on our lands. Um, the fire foundry crew is a relatively new crew that focuses on workforce development. Um, the, the folks on this crew do handwork, um, medium fuels, they do some power tool work, but they are learning the skills that will um, put them in a position to be competitive for um, a career uh, and other jobs in um, fire service agencies or other um, management uh, agencies in the county and other fuels management jobs in general. Um, and then we have the TAM crew, which is a fire suppression crew. So they are fighting wildfires uh, when those occur. They are the folks that will show up in the county when there is, is a fire that needs to be put out um, in our wildlands. And, um, but when they are not fighting fires, they are doing a lot of great vegetation management work. Um, they do work with heavier fuels, they do more complicated chainsaw work, and they do a lot of burn piles um, and ensure the safety of those um, fire operations during, during that work. And in addition to those crews, we have uh, the Conservation Corps North Bay and other contractors that we work with to uh, get all the defensible space mowing done. Um, broom removal is a, another big part of our work um, and other fuels management and uh, road and trail corridor pruning. And those crews do that work in conjunction with our um, internal open space uh, maintenance crew. So our own staff also does um, a large part of mowing and uh, um, road pruning work, and they are the ones who are directing and working with those other contracted crews so that uh, together they complete all of the work that needs to be done every year. 
And then, as I mentioned, we also have hazard trees, um, which are, uh, I mentioned, as part of our budget. Um, these are usually larger trees, and they are more expensive to manage, and so, but they are safety hazards, so we need to make sure that we are addressing those um, kind of unpredictable um, hazards that pop up each year. And then finally, our, our furry fuels management uh, tools are um, goats and sheep, uh, cows, and even the horses on Horse Hill who are grazing and keeping the, the grass um, in kind of a mowed condition. Um, the cows are seasonally grazing at Mount Burdell, doing that same type of work. And um, we have goats and sheep primarily at Terra Linda Sleepy Hollow. Um, and those are basically our preserves that have a lot of grassland. And so um, the grazers are great at essentially mowing areas that do need to be mowed every year because they regrow on an annual basis. And then finally, we have our early detection and rapid response program. Um, and that program's uh, job is to survey for invasive plants throughout all of our lands across the county um, with the goal of preventing and controlling any new weed infestations. Uh, while they're still small, um, weed problems become very expensive, uh, exponentially so, um, if they get uh, allowed to grow bigger. So we like to get them when they're small, um, and this program is, is critical in doing that. Um, rather than letting them get uh, to be problematic like we see with our French broom in the county, uh, which, you know, and, and invasive species, when they get out of control, can become large fields management problems just because of the, uh, how fast and abundantly they grow. So I wanna focus on just a few of our um, priority projects that we've been working on and will continue working on this year. Um, as a little bit of an orientation to the map, um, I'm gonna, zoom in on our Kent Woodlands area, but also um, you can probably see in the background there our preserve is in green, and we have existing maintenance in uh, yellow throughout a lot of the preserves. We have uh, existing shaded fuel breaks in purple, and um, we also are showing the Greater Ross Valley shaded fuel break in the background there, and that's the um, kind of snake-like <laughs> shape that goes along right the, at the edge of our preserves and the edge of the community. So it really rings the entire community. And then the places where that crosses onto our preserve are shown in red, and those are areas um, that are near those homes that we are prioritizing for uh, our future work. And, and one of those areas is in this Kent Woodlands um, zone. So we're working right at the boundary there next to the homes. Um, there's a 40-acre area, but we're also expanding that work um, because it's a steep slope below homes and fire um, tends to move more quickly up slopes, we feel like it's important to um, expand this project all the way down to the bottom of the hill. And the expanded work, what we're really doing is focusing on um, a pretty bad invasive species management issue in the understory. So there's a forest with an understory of broom um, and we're able to um, reduce the ladder fuels in that understory manage that French broom over um, at least three years to get the initial work and a few years of follow-up work in, and then um, to do long-term fuels management into the future um, as maintenance, and then um, really to improve the health of that forest in a way that will be more resilient during a wildfire and safer for the adjacent community. And that project is supported by a California Coastal Conservancy grant um, that we got in partnership with Marin Water um, and we're providing uh, additional matching funds um, in addition to that grant. 
And then prior to that grant, we did a section um, of this project in an adjacent area uh, with a California Fire Safe Council grant, and that one was in, in partnership with the Conservation Corps North Bay. And again, we provide a matching funding. So you can kind of see how our Measure A funds combine with grant funding and our partners um, to get uh, more work done and to continue these projects that will continue to move along the interface area. So shifting over to San Geronimo Valley, we have um, the Whitaker and Forest Knolls communities over there. Um, and we have some work that uh, includes the defensible space along the communities. We also have some areas of the Ridgeline Fire Road that are critical for fire response. Um, and we are, just like the Kent Woodlands Project, we are focusing on invasive species management wherever we have the opportunity to do so. Um, so along the urban interface, we have about two and a half miles of work. Um, and uh, this hopefully will, will be um, work that the TAM crew can help us with and their um, fire station in Woodacre, they're very familiar, familiar with this area. So um, it's, it would be uh, great to have them working on these um, interface areas. And we also have the Ridgeline Fire Road, uh, which is four miles long. And we're about halfway done with that project, which began um, last year, and we hope to finish this year. Um, but we do have some pictures of some of that initial work on that fire road on the edges um, and what the work looks like in this region where we have dense ladder fuels um, to start. And then we create a prescription um, where we thin out a certain amount of small trees. Uh, we remove the dead lower limbs and reduce the dead trees and remove some ground fuels um, to achieve this situation on the right, which has reduced fuels and is more resilient um, to wildfire and, in general, a healthier forest where the trees that remain um, have more resources and the ability to, to be healthy and withstand fire and grow larger. And this project is another um, grant project and a partnership project with our partners One Tam and Marin Water, who is on the southern por portion of the ridge. So one side of the fire road is um, our lands and the other side is their lands and we're doing very similar work, work along both sides of that road by partnering on this project. Um, so there's a um, $300,000 came from the Forest Health Grant from CAL FIRE and then each agency is contributing matching funding to um, achieve this project. And then the last project I want to highlight is uh, in Terra Linda Sleepy Hollow. Um, where we have a ridgetop fire road and a dense eucalyptus grove and just a lot of um, those ladder fuels. And so this is a really good example of where we see grass, grasses kind of intermixing with um, dry shrubs and that's intermixing with small eucalyptus regrowth trees that are sprouting from the base. And those reach up into the mid canopy and um, larger trees. So fire could, um, like a ladder, grow up. Uh, move up through that, that um, fuel and uh, end up in the top of the eucalyptus trees where it would be very difficult, difficult to control. So um, this is another partnership project, uh, particularly with San Rafael Fire Department, but we're also going to be working with the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority, um, hopefully to um, increase our funding to do more work here. Um, and uh, on the map on the left, you can see the eucalyptus trees are red and orange. The red um, areas are on um, our preserve, and then the orange areas um, are more eucalyptus trees that are farther down the slope and closer to homes, and those are not on uh, preserve lands that we manage. 
but the fire department is able to work with the landowners to, um, to do work in those areas. So we're thinking of it as one large partnership project. Um, and it's really interesting to look at our um, vegetation map uh, data and to see that um, when a, a plane flew over from the air and collected data, uh, it detected very low ladder fuels in this um, blue area on the right map, which is an area we have done a lot of work in over many, many years. So we've worked really hard and we have achieved that low fuels condition. And then the yellow areas are areas we have not yet been able to work in. And so we hope to transition at least some of those into that lower fuels um, state. And maybe we'll catch that on a future mapping flyover. Um, but the, the highest ladder fuels are really at the bottom of the slope close to home. So that's a big priority. And, and partnering with the fire department is um, a way to achieve that work in, in those areas that are really important and close to homes. So those are just a few of our projects that we will be focusing on. We actually have 45 projects and 360 maintenance sites where we mow um, or do other types of maintenance on a regular basis. Uh, and all of those are, um, can be viewed in this interactive map uh, that you can reach from our website. So you can uh, zoom into any neighborhood you want and um, mouse over one of the points and learn more about the type of work um, and the timing and things like that. So there's a lot of information in this interactive map if you want to know more. And then just um, in closing, um, I think Max was talking about kind of the, the timeline we have established. This is something that um, we are uh, working with the fire department. So we are discussing throughout the year with our uh, partners, um, the fire agencies, our communities about project ideas. But by January, we really try to settle in on what those projects are gonna be for the year. And then uh, we come to you now and uh, again in March to um, present those ideas and to solicit in input and to revise that plan so that in um, later in May or June, uh, the budget um, will include that program of work and um, when the budget gets approved in July, we can start some of those new projects pending that permitting and compliance and pre-project surveys have been completed and that it's an appropriate time of year to do that project. Sometimes we have to wait until spring if that's the best time to do it. So. Um, that's the timeline, and um, I just want to thank you for uh, your time focusing on this uh, really important part of work that we do both um, to preserve and protect our lands as well as our adjacent communities from wildfire. Yeah. Thank you for that very important job. Uh, any questions or comments from the commissioner? Uh, Great presentation, thank you. Nice to see you again. Um, just a couple of points here. On page three of the presentation, it, it talks about Measure A, which says passed in March 2022. Was it, was it the ordinance passed? Because the Measure A was passed in June of 22. Okay, next question is <laughs> the third from the last, where these maps are, the Ridgewood fire fuel break. Mm -hmm. um, on the two maps here, the one on the right, there's a code to the colors. And the one on the left, there's no codes to what the the red, the orange, the purple, and the blue mean. Um, should there be one there? 
Um, yeah, there is one, and um, it was just excluded from this image, but um, basically the description is just that the, there is a difference. Um, the, the red and the black are within the preserve, and the, the orange is the eucalyptus trees that are outside of the preserve on adjacent land. So All right, and the, the, the blue and the purple straight lines, what do they mean? The same. They're just land ownership. Okay. You yeah. might want to stick that in for the next yeah. presentation. And then the, the comment I have, the question I have is, I thought it was really interesting when you said that some of these people who are working in the fire break areas are getting job experience to move on. Do you personally know that other people, that some of these people have done that? I think that's a wonderful opportunity. It's a, it's a relatively new program. I think last year was the first year. So um, I think we're all um, excited to see how. Have it some of these folks spoken to you about, this is fine, I like doing this, can I move on? Yeah, we, de we definitely do hear um, folks looking for um, positions. And, and it's a great way for all of us to get to, to know um, folks. So when we do have job openings, we can share those. And um, we have opportunities within our own agency or within the fire agencies to, to offer. Great. Thank you. Any additional comments? Yes. Oh, Pat? Thank mm -hmm. you. Well, Pat's getting the mic turned on. I just add to the you know that Fire Foundry is a partnership with Marin County Fire and Conservation Corps North Bay, and then also UC Berkeley, and I think the uh, community college as well. But the um, you know the idea is training folks for the fire service, but we also benefit, and we regularly hire. We just hired a, a, I think a new ranger who came out of Conservation Corps North Bay and. We, our newest supervising ranger uh, at McNears Beach Park came from Conservation Corps North Bay, so. And our director. And our director, yeah, <laughs> and me. So it's, uh, it's really, yeah, it certainly is a place to, um, that has had that effect. That's great, I just wanted to, and thank you, it was a wonderful presentation. Um, the, I just want to kind of highlight one of your points that uh, measure A, Funding is critical, this program, not only for direct funding, but to use as matching funds. So it just shows that the taxpayer is really getting a real, you know, double benefit, uh, not only uh, direct product work here and fuels management, but also in securing additional funds that come in to do these projects. So, um, you know, from a variety of sources, but uh, congratulations and uh, uh I think the leverage point is something that needs to be underscored. Any other comments? Yolanda? Gotta push it. Right, yeah, you. there you go. I just have one comment. I really enjoyed your presentation. Um, and I think that now when I'm in the parks and outdoors, I'm not gonna take for granted the beauty behind all of that um, work that you guys have done. So thank you. Thank you. Michael? Just a quick follow-up on that uh, leveraging. I think it would be good to have a final slide when you come back with the budget that summarizes the money and the leverage. And I would secondly ask whether you feel you've exhausted all the, the grant opportunities. Maybe there are some others that will be decided on between now and June, and you could also have the grants in, 
process listed on this summary table. And the, any comments in the chamber? Question? Yes, public time. Thank you. Oh, yes. Sorry, no, no. While, while he's coming up, Max, while he's coming up, can I just add on to what Pat said about Measure A? Um, I don't, it's unlikely that you actually put signs up when you're doing this work that says, in part, this is funded by Measure A. But if there's a way you could publicly do that, I know we're not coming up for another nine years. Uh, but still, it's just it's always good to publicize. So if, if there's a signage opportunity when you're doing it, that would be great. Yeah, we do have like wind signs uh, that can be great. put up with the crews. Yes. Um, yeah, hi. Thank you. This is Nona Dennis, representing Marine Conservation League. And this is a point I really feel that I'm representing the the environmental community in general because I don't think any program is as closely scrutinized by the environmental community as this one as well as, of course, the vegetation management work that's being done by the authority. Uh, there are actually three different collaborations of uh, environmental organizations are, are involved. Uh, probably the most important one is the Environmental Roundtable convened by John Campo and Michonne Martin uh, on this program as well as the road and trail programs. Uh, we've been meeting, <coughs> excuse me, representatives from Sierra Club, from Marine Audubon Society, from Friends of Cordillera Creek, Marine Conservation League. I'm not certain whether I've left out a critical one of us. Uh, we've been meeting oh, monthly, almost monthly, for several years now. And we receive really thorough, thorough um, presentations like this from Sarah. And also, uh, we go, we're taking to the field to actually see the work in progress. And that is really, that's where the, the what should we say, the boots on the ground, makes a huge difference because what you see in, on paper uh, tells you generally what's being done, but you have to be out in the field to see how much care is being exercised by the crews on endangered species, on not cutting too much. That's one of our concerns, cutting judiciously and uh, so forth. So, uh, and, and also Fern, uh, whose name spans for four things I can't remember, but that's Marin Audubon and uh, Environmental Action Committee of West Marin, and uh, uh, let's see, there's a third one in there someplace. Anyway, they're also scrutinizing all the work that's being done by the county as well as by the, the authority. And then third is the Ecological Sound Practices Group, which came together really pre-COVID and uh, represents really many different interests. So the environmental community is very, very much attuned to the work that's going on, and we really appreciate the kinds of presentations we've had, the opportunities to engage in what the county parks is doing. Thanks very much. Thank you. Any other comments from the public online? Yes, we have Terry Thomas. Please unmute. Thank you. Good afternoon, and uh, thank you for the ability to speak with you this afternoon. Great presentation, Sarah. Uh, it's nice to be here today, and um, I also commend CCMB. Go, Max. Yes, uh, really great organization. I'm glad you guys are still working with them. I have a few comments today uh, in consideration of how they plan 
these projects into the future. I also am part of the environmental community that gets to attend the environmental roundtable, and I highly appreciate the information that we get at those meetings there. It's really excellent. What might be really good to have at the end of the year is a synopsis of what this work plan identifies, um, like an annual report, so to say. And I wanted to recommend three things that as they set up these projects, they might do in a way that this can be identified um, at the end of the year. The first is to identify what the as-built is for each project. Uh, the public is generally told that the planning acreage is greater than the actual acreage that gets treated on the land. And there's a little bit less acreage, which is actually provides more biodiversity bio, uh, and better maintains habitat. And it would be nice to know the acreage of how these uh, end up. As you looked at her maps, there were like these big, long, squiggly lines. But really, it's more nuanced than that at the end of the day. And it would be really wonderful to have the actual acreage of the different sites. Then also, it would be nice to have a synopsis of the acreage completed by treatment type. Marin uh, Wildfire Prevention Authority did that this year in their, 20, in their December 16th um, report, and it was really helpful. So how many acres was completed by grazing? How, many acreage, how much acreage by mastication and how much by handwork? Um, that would be really helpful as well. And then finally, if there was a way to track the habitat type by acreage and treatment type. As maybe you know, and maybe not, we are all looking towards doing a 30 by 30 project with California and the United States this year, which is preserving 30% of, um, of our land and waters by 2030. And in there, it identifies particular habitats and particular target species that they wanna watch through time. And it would be nice for us to be able to watch those habitats and species through time as this vegetation is being removed. And also, there is now a Golden Gate Biosphere Network, which is identifying a climate vulnerability assessment. And Max and Sarah are very aware of this because uh, Marin County Parks has been involved with this project. And it also identifies different habitat types and target species that we want to make sure we protect as we're doing this kind of climate change management. So um, basically, in conclusion, it was really great to hear that there, that these uh, projects are have these interactive maps, and also that Sarah saw that with um, you could see the lower ladder fuels in the flyover. That's the kind of thing it would be nice to track to identify in the flyover also the actual acreages and the habitat types. It would be nice to have those groupings kind of as a final slide as well, just like the suggestion for um, for funding. And that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Terry. Sure, Anyone? No, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, I'd like to bring it back to the commission for any additional comment. Um, just, uh, just one comment on the, in the Terralinda area where you identified a significant amount of eucalyptus and new growth eucalyptus. Um, what is your, uh, when you do, um, I know uh, just back in 91 when there had to be Oakland Hills fire and then um, near the Colicott Tunnel, that hill there, eucalyptus were pretty well wiped out, but the city of Oakland didn't do any treatment. And actually, because eucalyptus is kind of a zombie tree, <laughs> it just uh, more sprouts came up. They actually had a more, you end up with a denser eucalyptus forest than when, they, when the fire started. 
And uh, so something, you know, how can you need to be cautious when you treat uh, trees when you cut them, uh, but without some kind of treatment when they are thinned, uh, they will just sprout back. And so it's kind of a fool's errand in a way. And then eucalyptus has a lot of duff, so the, the you know fire uh, material is uh, constantly being produced by eucalyptus trees. So they they're generally a hazard. They're very oily too. I mean, I feel like that's one of the reasons we're really lucky to have Sarah leading our team is grounding the approach in science with what the most effective tools are and both the experience that we've had and the experience that other agencies have had to inform our work so that we're not, you know, essentially doing uh, work that actually makes the problem worse, right, that we're actually um, using effective tools and really that depend it, it's different for each site so i think you know sarah and our team are really kind of using that to inform their approach any additional follow up by this by the staff if not we move to next item. i just appreciate terry's comments and we'll take that into consideration as we you know do future thank reviews. you max so we're moving to the next item so I'll introduce this next item. Um, okay. Oh, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, you want? Yeah, so, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So uh, just Kevin Wright uh, from our team is going to present, but um, you know I want to just start by you know saying that one of the things that Kevin has been working on over the last year, or maybe more than a year, is we really wanted to have just like. Um, Nona was speaking to the environmental roundtable that brings community members in, from, from the Marin community who are involved in um, you know, protecting the environment to engage with our team. We wanted an equity-focused roundtable where we brought different community partners together to work on issues that were important to them and, uh, and, and also part of our work in parks. And one issue that really rose to the top was park fees and, and whether there was a way to reduce the barrier or eliminate the barrier of park fees for, um, and some of the inequities that park fees create. And so I'll turn it over to Kevin. He can describe that process and, and where we're at. But um, yeah, just want to appreciate that. Yeah, great introduction. Thanks. So hello, Commission. Kevin Wright. It's nice to see you all in person. Uh, today we wanted to bring to you a discussion. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, discussion about uh, how the um, basically the elimination of park fees can improve park access, as Max mentioned. So we have 43 parks, 34 preserves. We charge park fees, uh, park entry fees at three of our regional parks, a couple of boat launches, and a couple small West Marin sites. So not very many in the scheme of things. And what we want to do is provide you with some data and some community feedback to consider and then have a discussion after this presentation. So there's a range of fees that we charge which feed into our budget. And here's the list. Everything from those entry fees I mentioned to filming and commercial use permits, uh, group site reservations, and special events. We've also done visitor studies in the past, and what we found was that across all of our open spaces and parks, it's actually our regional parks, the places that we charge fees, that attract the most diversity. 
um, their percentages well above um, the places that we provide for free to the public to enjoy. And so uh, when you look at this slide on the map, um, that's just showing utilization by um, uh, uh, Latinx or Hispanic residents in Marin. And so we've heard the need to reduce fees for years, and so we've taken a lot of different actions that you're probably all aware of. Um, one of the most popular ones is the Library Park Pass program, which basically puts, uh, like a library book, our parks passes, as well as water district parks passes and state parks parks passes in the libraries so that residents can go and check them out for free. So anyone with a library card can check one out. They go to the park, they enjoy themselves, they bring their family. Basically, you know, it'll cover a carload of people. Um, we've also reduced fees over the years. In 2019, we reduced fees down to $5 per car and made the pool free. Uh, and also, historically, over the last nine years, Measure A through the City and Town program, as well as our programs, have invested heavily in park infrastructure to make upgrade, making these parks more attractive and um, user-friendly uh, for our residents. So here we are now, um, as Bruce mentioned in June, uh, Measure A was re-implemented uh, for the next nine years. And we're excited to join together with the Parks Equity Roundtable to further explore how we can provide better access to all of our residents in Marin County. The Parks Equity Roundtable is a group of uh, over 40 organizational leaders. Um, many are people of color who lead organizations to provide a wide range of social services and have uh, done the active work of bringing those social services and their communities out into parks. So they represent a lot of different backgrounds, and they've been convening regularly to advise us on how we can improve access for all Marin residents. They provided a lot of feedback about the importance of improving park access through park fees, um, specifically that um, by uh, reducing or removing park entry fees, it would have an improvement in park access and also that it's important, um, similar to the community grant program, to continue to pair up um, free access or reduced cost access with partnerships with schools and others to um, sort of provide that warm-handed uh, first experience, that positive experience that keeps people coming back over and over again and enjoying the parks. So just a couple of quotes from uh, attendees of the Parks Equity Roundtable. Mayate Duran of Alcohol Justice uh, expressed a lot of support. She's seen here in the picture uh, wearing purple. And then Aaron Burnett of Canal Alliance, who manages their policy platform and has been a big parks champion along with Omar, um, also very supportive. But in general, we, uh, in our last meeting, convened over 20 participants from the roundtable to discuss this item, and they're all supportive. There's a lot of national reporting that supports the reduction and removal of park fees as a barrier. Here are just some examples. But I want to move on to uh, a variety of layers of data that we've collected over the years. Um, we, you know, I mentioned our visitor study, and there's a recommendation to keep all sites free or low cost. And um, here are the percentages I mentioned, where it shows that our regional parks, where we charge fees, see, um, uh, you know, much more diversity than we see in our open spaces or our smaller park sites. Uh, we've held focus groups that told us the same thing, both for older adults across the spectrum as well as um, people of color, that park fees are a major barrier, and we've heard this in our community surveys as well. So when we look at the numbers, because um, historically, going back 
you know, before Measure A was passed the first time in 2012, uh, park entry fees were a very important uh, generator for our budget. Um, and it continues to generate about 8% of our overall budget for um, basically park expenses. And so um, what we've uncovered is, uh, according to 2022 numbers, it's around $384,000 um, that if we remove these park entry fees, uh, we'd be losing every year. That'd be covered by Measure A. Um, it would likely take a toll on our parks capital expenses and not our um, maintenance and staffing budget to support visitors in the parks. Sure, so basically, if we remove these entry fees that we're talking about, it would be about 8% of our parks budget, which total. Capital projects, so it would come out of our fund for capital projects. Right. Exactly. Thanks for asking that. That's a priority decision. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so finally, you know, these are the potential changes we're looking at exploring this year. Um, reducing the park entrance fees from $5 to $0, uh, including potentially Agate Beach and White House Pool from $2 to $0, and then expanding the program um, currently under the community grant program that provides free group access to certain so social service organizations doing equity work and improving access to groups of residents um, so that more of those types of organizations can have free access without needing to apply for a grant. If we were to move forward with this work, you can see that currently uh, toward the bottom of the slide, we're on the January 19th area where we're providing an informational presentation about this item for discussion. Uh, if this commission is supportive, we can come back to you March 16th to uh, ask you to take action and recommend to the Board of Supervisors they consider these fee changes. Also, March 16th is when I'll bring the um, introduction of the next round of community grants, and at that time, we're planning to roll out this new online application form that's very simple, user-friendly, where community grants, qualifying organizations can basically apply for free group access even if they don't want grant funding. And with that, I'll stop and listen. Thank you, Kevin, for this important information. I, I do have a question about the, the, did you mention that the, re, the reservation used for the parks are also reduced, or that's another, it's, it's going to be reduced that or, or? So that's a parallel initiative. So we would uh, remove entry fees for everyone. And then when it comes to group site reservations, we're creating a focused program, sort of like the community grant program, where any organization like Alcohol Justice Canal Alliance, even if they don't have a community grant, they can still apply for limited free access to these group sites to bring their people and programs, et cetera. Okay. And the other question I have is like the, redu the, the fee is the same fee that you charge in the, the, all the parks for the reservation or is, is, is different the fee? Yeah, so the entrance fee is when you walk up to the gate uh -huh. and you, know, you pay the Iron Ranger, you pay a staff member your $5. Okay. So that we would remove those fees. And then if you're a community grantee currently, you would call up Diana Branscombe, for instance, at our front desk and say, hey, I want to bring a group out on Saturday. And we would waive the fees that are you know, $200 or whatever. Um, for one of our picnic area sites. And we are also considering doing that through a form process to uh, encourage more organizations that provide positive connections to parks to access those sites. But for private individuals or people having like a wedding or whatever, they still would have to pay the reservation fee. I see. 
Thank you. Any questions from uh, Michael first and then Pat? Just to, uh, of that 384,000, uh, how much of those fees would, uh, are related to the commercial use permits, filming, and special events so that they would continue to flow through uh, that is expressed differently? You know, of that 384, how much are we waiving? We're not losing the full 8%. So the, that 384,000 is just the entrance fees. Okay. It does not include the filming. the The total contribution to our uh, budget from fees, leases, all those types of things is quite a bit more than three hundred and eighty four. It's I don't know. I can't remember what it is. Close to two million dollars or something like. That. No, th that's helpful. I just think it's a little. The first page suggested the five fees, and it might be good to just add something on that. And those fees would continue, and in fact, you could increase some of those fees to offset it uh, we like yeah we typically do increase those fees to at least match inflation right which might uh, reduce the impact on the capital account and i think that would be something that you know maybe we get uh, you know only a couple hundred thousand in the capital account i think that would be helpful but i, I just needed some clarification kevin uh, so with this proposal we're looking at reducing entrance fees by 384,000 plus K. Um, and the impact, uh, as I think Max indicated, would be a reduction of like amount from the capital budget, capital development and improvements. And I personally have got a concern. I mean, I'm all for the proposal and the goals behind it. But I have a concern about, I mean, I think, you know, capital improvements and repairs and, you know, major maintenance is a really critical part of your operation. And, you know, doing, I don't know what kind of damage would be done, but, but uh, so clearly your resources would be reduced. And is there any alternative to that or just, we're just talking about a reduction without any backfills. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that there's it, – it's not, it's not free for us to reduce – to eliminate entry fees, right? It has to come out of – it has to be paid right. for in some way. So, so I, I have a concern about that, <laughs> I guess. I, I, I think I'm not sure how much that's actually impacting their operations and, you know, I'm not – I'm unclear about, I hate to pit one, one good thing against the other, but it looks like we're doing that, and I, I'm concerned. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's an important, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's something that, as we talked with our community partners, seemed like a real value, but it has trade-offs, and I think that's why we wanted to go through this process of getting you know, talking about having a discussion with your commission, potentially coming back in March. We bring this to the board as well. We, you know, might even be a workshop with the board before it goes, um, you know, in June. But I, I think, um, you know, there's certainly trade-offs with it. I think our total, like, capital park, capital budget for parks um, infrastructure is about, uh, 
$1.7 million. Um, that's just, that. it's a little bit, I don't wanna get too deep into it because it's complicated, right? We have overall about $7.5 million for um, project funding each, like this, this coming year is what our projection is. Um, we go through a process each year where we distribute that among different priorities. So there's nothing prescriptive that says a certain amount has to be spent on capital improvements in parks. The other piece is that, um, as we mentioned before, there's grant funding for a lot of the work that we, capital projects that we do and a lot of the larger projects that are coming up are almost completely funded by grants, the sea level rise adaptation projects and other things. Um, but they do have a match requirement as well, which measure is really important for. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it, Commissioner Diet brought up a really good recommendation of maybe there's some, a way to offset some of the expense by increasing other fees. Um, you know, I think we, we had planned to do that anyway around the cost of living, but maybe there's additional increases we could consider. But uh, that's one of the reasons we want to get feedback from your commission is weighing those different uh, priorities. Perhaps, are, are we going to uh, look at this again in March, did you indicate? That's correct. So maybe uh, staff can consider some other way to offset this or... I'm not saying you're going to completely offset 385,000, but you know, lessen the impact. Bruce? So um, I share Commissioner O'Brien's concerns. Um, I, the goals are great. You know, we all want more people to have more access. Uh, free is a, is a problem for me to be candid here. Uh, as a taxpayer, I pay my taxes to the county and it funds a variety of services, including parks and open space. It also funds things like community development. But for community development, the staff at the community development department, they're there whether I go in to apply for a permit or not. They're there. But if I go in to apply for a permit at community development, I have to pay a fee but the fee is to pay for people who are already there. It, it to a degree, makes n no sense. So, to my mind, I, 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 sh I, share, I share the the goal of getting more people in, but probably a majority of the people who use our parks are people who can afford $5 a car. M my suggestion would be to um, have the community groups, somebody who calls and wants to come on a Saturday morning and they want to bring a group, I think that should be a community grant. That should go through the community grant process. I just have a problem with people coming in the door for free because maintaining our parks through a capital program, to my mind, is, is important. And taking away 20 to 25% of the capital budget is a problem for, for me personally, I just think that there are majority of people who come to the parks are people who can afford it, people who can't typically have access to community groups. And if we could put an online application where community groups could apply for, you know, every Saturday I'm going to bring 50 kids or whatever it is they want to do. And it doesn't have to be 
community groups like the Community Alliance. It could be like Rotary Clubs who want to sponsor something like this or Chambers of Commerce. If you're a community group and you want to come to the park, call up the, the department and, or fill out the online application and apply for the grant process. But I just, I just have a problem with getting rid of the entrance fee. That's just my one opinion. Yeah, I, I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sure. Well, I just want to say one of the challenges we're faced with um, based on the data is that we have roughly 16 to 18% of residents who are Latino, for instance. And in our free sites, which are mostly our open spaces, we see between 0.3 and as high as 8% of users who are Latino at those sites. Uh, whereas in our parks, we see 17 to up above 30% uh, who are Latino. Um, and so that means that our Latino residents are being disproportionately charged for using their parks that they're also paying taxes for. Yeah, but that also means that 70% of the people who are walking in the door who are, are not Latino and ostensibly might be able to afford it. And again, many of the people in the Latino community, you know, and I live in the canal area, so I sort of know, uh, they can go through the community, the Canal Community Alliance, they can go through Alcohol Justice, they can go through, you know, Novato Parks and Rec Department. I mean, they, there's a variety of groups, and, you know, we, we do a fairly good job of communicating with folks in the county. Um, and we could, we, you know, people could know about the programs and make them available. There could be brochures at the site. You're coming in the door. Here's the, the it's a $5 fee. Yeah, but next time, if you want to come in for free, here's a brochure about how you can do it. I, I'm not... I understand the goal of the program. I'm also concerned about the effect that it's going to have on our capital program, and I don't see there's too much demand on our there's too much demand on the small amount of money we have already. Taking away 25 percent of the capital budget's a problem for me. Could I offer another philosophical yeah, point so, of view? Mm -hmm. I always like to uh, have a as much of a 360 degree approach to these things as possible. So just Another way of thinking about this is what's the purpose of a park? And I think the purpose of a park, at least for me, is to have open access to the public and to encourage as much of the public to use the park as possible. Uh, I'm particularly concerned about encouraging use of parks by folks that are younger, who might come from a different cultural background, because if we don't encourage as many different segments of our community to use the parks as possible, what's the future of the parks? Who's going to want to, in nine years, invest more money through another uh, redo of Measure A if those parks aren't used? So I commend staff for looking at encouraging greater use of the park. Just throw out another philosophical point of view, which is because you, you, you've raised it very appropriately using the analogy of going in to get a building permit or a development permit, you pay a fee. Well, there's always this real interesting uh, tension between fees versus taxes. Everybody in the county pays a tax through, the, the, through Measure A, and those monies go to fund parks, whether or not the individual paying that tax ever walks through the door of a park. A fee, in contrast, is something that you put on somebody because they're getting a special benefit 
that nobody else gets. So parks, are they open to the public? Are you encouraging everybody, including all those everybody's who already have paid through a taxation program for those parks? Or do you assess another fee on top, saying, well, you're getting a special benefit because you've chosen to go through the door? And again, I just worry about the incentives and disincentives you create by putting fees on access to parks. Again, if part of our goal, and at least my personal goal, is encouraging greater use of parks. Always, as I look out at the environmental community, saying, of course, we don't want to love our parks to death. You have to balance overuse versus appropriate use and maintenance and capital improvements. But I really think, strongly philosophically, one thing to consider is encouraging greater access. I think Yep. I, I really didn't bring this up to bring up a whole philosophic issue between fees and no fees and taxes and that. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I mean, we could we could argue or discuss that ad infinitum and, you know, um, but, or agencies that have rate structures and agencies that don't have rate fees. I, I just was concerned about the loss of capital improvement funds. And those capital improvement funds add to the value of the experience when people visit the parks. So I don't didn't want that aspect of the program to diminish, or if it was going to diminish with this program, to mitigate it somehow. And so that's why I brought that up. What? Not that this proposal isn't good and philosophically correct and everything like that, but, you know, there's open space. There is some difference between open space usage and the park usage. If you look at maintenance asset demands, so the asset demand, in other words, what, what is needed for maintenance on an acre of open space is far less than an acre on the park. So, uh, so a park like McGinnis Park, for example, or McNear, maybe not as much acreage as big open space, but far more maintenance demands, higher, way higher, substantially higher. And so the fees are associated with those parks where the asset demand for maintenance is extremely high in comparison to open space. And so redu reducing that's an issue, uh, and I'm not saying not to reduce it, and I'm not saying to find that this isn't a great proposal. I'm just saying, have another look. Is there a way to mitigate some of this? Uh, because you don't want to be sitting here in a year ago and, oh my God, we can't afford to fix this and we can't afford to fix that. So you, you, you want to be able to address those issues. So that's all I'm asking staff is take another look at, at that and is there, are there some mitigating factors to, to assist this good recommendation? to make it better. Larry? Are we providing transportation to these facilities from the communities we think are in need? That's another area the roundtable is working on. And I actually just had a conversation this morning with Marin Transit um, that told me we need to do a better job of marketing the existing transportation they're providing, as well as I think they're willing to consider some new transportation opportunities. Is this another cost to us, though? No. 
A final suggestion as part of the backup plan, and maybe you could also have voluntary contributions, that kind of box. You know, many places in cultural activities say, you know, pay what you can, and it's the idea of you know, ultimately having a larger Friends of the Parks program. You've got Friends of Stafford Lake. But look at that, and uh, that might be something you could add into that backdrop, because I certainly share the concern, and I'm confident that you could come up with something that holds the capital budget harmless and allows us to say yes to this. Bruce? You know, just to follow up on Commissioner Kenning's, um, recently had a conversation with Supervisor Radoni about bringing folks from the canal to West Marin. Um, and in terms of Golden Gate Transit, he, he indicated that he might be willing to have a conversation with some of those folks. I don't know which county supervisor is on the bridge board. I don't, I don't know. But um, if you could find out who that might be, um, I think if you talk with Supervisor Radoni, he might be interested in, in getting some transportation. So rather than just taking folks from the canal to McGinnis Park or McNear Park, take them out to Stinson Beach, you know, using a Golden Gate bus as a as a program of say the Canal Alliance. Anyway, just for what it's worth, I did have that conversation with him. Just one final comment on my part before turning to the public is uh, remember when we when we're doing the we're still doing the healthy parks we do the some groups came and do uh, retribution for their entrance a uh, service a service project so that's a nice idea a nice element to consider in this trade-off like, like we're giving you free entrance but you're returning some services to the and people like it i remember that when we do that uh, many people were they, they love that idea of working in the park because they felt useful and and i think that should be considered if you do any any it's hard the for the individuals for group work very well but yeah. if there's no other comments from commission i'd like to turn the the word for the Public online. Any comments or questions online? No speaker online. No speaker online. Okay. So turn it back to the final comments from. I think we discussed a lot, but any final comments or follow up from the staff before we move to the next item? No. Okay. Well. Let's move to item number eight. This is an action item. It's a recommendation for fiscal year 2022-2023, the Brief Respira Community Grants Awards. Um, and the recommended action is to recommend to the Marine County Board of Supervisors that it enter into grant agreements with the entities listed below for the reimbursement for fiscal year 2023-2023, funds for measure eight, breathe rest. This is one of the items that was covered in a past meeting, right? So right. we have to, we still have to vote on, on this one. But perhaps in a much briefer way. Yes. Yes. Than the last item? That sounds good. So do we have a, do I have a, you want to, comment on this one before we do a uh, 
Chair, I can make a very brief introduction okay. if it's helpful. Thank you. Thank you. So you're correct. This item pertains to the current year of grants, which was discussed several months ago. So the board has um, uh, authorized all these grants you see in your packet already. Um, your commission last time expressed support for these. This process has occurred every year for the last nine years, and these grants go toward improved park access and partnership with local community organizations. Uh, I'm sure you would like to ask a lot more questions and learn a lot more about this program, and so in March at your next meeting, that's when we actually launch the next round of grants, and so I'll be able to bring a presentation to you looking ahead um, in these grants to talk about uh, commission participation, um, how much money we have, et cetera, et cetera, but this year, we gave out roughly $200,000 in grants. Every year, your commission um, basically uh, recommends the Board of Supervisors that they approve these grants, and so um, we're asking you to take that action again uh, today. Well, comments from? I would move to forward the recommendation uh, on to the Board. Oh. Okay. Let's talk. So for a vote or all public, oh, comment. public comments, any public comment before we vote online? No online. No speakers. Okay, so we um, okay we can vote on this. All in favor, say aye. 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 Anonymously um, approve. Yvonne, we got a second, right, on that? Great. Oh, oh perfect. Um, Thank you. Okay. okay. So this next item, I'll introduce uh, Craig Richardson and Carl Summers from our planning acquisitions and government affairs team uh, who will come up here and present, and I'll get out of the way. But um, this is actually cool because uh, we'll – uh, quickly go over the, the presentation that we went over before, but there's some uh, updates since then so we can give you a little update of, of how some of these uh, acquisitions have proceeded. Hello, Commissioners. Uh, this is a presentation that's already been made uh, and recorded, so I will go over it again as we've decided is required, but I'll, I'll move quickly. So, um, Carl, just because some of the commissioners don't know you, could you just identify yourself and what you do? Thank you for that suggestion. I'm Carl Summers. I'm the Chief of Planning, Real Property, and Government Affairs for Marin County Parks. And I'll just go ahead and introduce. Where you're letting you uh, and I'm Craig Richardson. I'm a senior planner uh, working on the planning and acquisition team. So, um, great. Uh, this this item was, again, to provide a brief presentation on what was then uh, sort of late-breaking developments with major acquisitions in the department. And the first of the two acquisitions that we presented on is the Martha property acquisition, or also known as Easton Point, uh, in Tiburon. Uh, this is a locator map. shows that it's adjacent to Old St. Hillary's. It's about 110 acres, roughly the size of the existing Old St. Hillary's preserve. You can see it has a very strategic position there at the end of the Tiburon Peninsula. Uh, a, a simulated view looking back to Mount Tam, giving you an idea of, of the commanding vistas and the topography there. Again, looking out over Angel Island and the East Bay, what this doesn't pull out far enough to show is that you can also see very well San Francisco skyline and, and San Pablo Bay. 
Um, so the property harbors actually a, an impressive list of uh, rare special status and even endemic uh, species. These are species that are either confirmed on the property or that we have very good uh, reason to think it, uh, actually are on the property. Um, the, there's a long history with this acquisition going back 50 years uh, as a priority for acquisition by the county and the, specifically the open space district. It goes back to the very origin of the open space district. It's a priority conservation area officially adopted by the um, county and the county itself uh, and regional government and, and the district itself and VR 2008 strategic plan. It's in a bubble down there that I think is called uh, Tiburon Rangelands. Uh, and not only the you know public uh, planning efforts, but several kind of high-profile nonprofit-sponsored landscape-scale conservation plans have identified this as a priority for pre protection. Uh, again, we're neighbors here to Old St. Hillary's, and it's going to be protected. The financing is going to work a lot like the financing for Old St. Hillary's did. Old St. Hillary's was funded largely on the basis of um, local taxes. There's a community facilities district that encompasses Belvedere and most of Tiburon. Those folks voted to tax themselves back in the mid-90s to acquire uh, Old St. Hillary's. The CFDs that were established for Old St. Hillary's stipulated that their funds could also be used to acquire the Martha property, should that ever become available, and of course it has. So there's $2.1 million on account in the Old St. Hillary's CFD uh, that's gonna be applied towards the purchase price. This is a map of the community facilities district that actually, since we presented, has been approved by the voters in uh, Tiburon and Belvedere. It's just, it's all of Belvedere and everything in Tiburon east of um, Trust Glen. So uh, the, the funding here, so the, the total overall purchase price from the Martha Company is $42.1 million. We aren't directly acquiring the property from the Martha Company. The Trust for Public Land, a national nonprofit, is is negotiated a purchase from the Martha Company. They're going to purchase the property from the Martha Company for $42.1 million, and then in escrow sell it to us uh, for the lower price of $26.1 million, as is spelled out on this slide here. So $18 million of the district's purchase price is coming from a, a the proceeds of a bond sale that over time will be um, serviced by those taxes that the voters just put on themselves in Tiburon and Belvedere. Uh, the $2.1 million we've talked about is, is remaining on account in the old uh, Olds and Hillary's CFD. And then the rest of our purchase price is made up of a measure a, an allocation of measure a acquisition funds that the board made uh, last year, whenever we took the purchase and sale agreement to them. So the balance, TPL's balance then, is going to come from private fundraising that they're out doing right now, and uh, likely at least one or, or maybe more uh, grants from the state of California. Uh, so the election, this was, again, this presentation was last year. The election happened, uh, passed with a landslide, nearly 80%. Uh, the, we have technically until March 31st to, to identify... Uh, you know, any due diligence items that we want to discuss or negotiate further around, we don't anticipate that there would be any. TPL's deal itself is an as-is deal, so there's not a lot of room there. Um, TPL's working on the fundraising. They actually have until 2024 to raise all the funds. We hope that they're able to do it on a much faster timeline than that. And then we have to come back to the board 
with any, for instance, if TPL does get a state grant and that's going to put a deed restriction on title, we would inherit that deed restriction, so we'd have to go back to the board and get the board's approval to those types of grant restrictions. That's it. All right. We'll take that from that. Okay. <clears throat> Good afternoon again, Commissioners. Craig Richardson, Senior Planner. So I am going to share with you a presentation to give back in September on the Smith property uh, acquisition at Bucks Landing. Um, so I'll talk briefly about the history of the acquisition. I'll talk about why we're acquiring the property um, and then review some of the acquisition details. So you can see the property there is the, the red blob surrounded by our Bucks Landing Park, um, which shares a boundary with uh, what's locally referred to as Heron Hill. It's part of our San Pedro Mountain Preserve. Um, and the history of this acquisition really goes back uh, in a formal way for the department back to 2008, when we, the area was identified um, as a target for acquisition in the 2008 strategic plan. Um, and the reason it was identified at that time was uh, because of advocacy within the community who wanted to see this, uh, this property protected for the public. And the reason that they wanted it protected uh, was for the natural resource value, but also because it provides access to the bay uh, via an existing boat ramp. Um, so back in 2015, um, the open space district was um, received the Heron Hill property via a donation. Um, residents in the, the neighboring community got together, uh, pooled the resources, acquired the property, and, and managed to donate it to the district. Then in 2020, um, the county took ownership of uh, what's now referred to as Bucks Landing Park, um, which is the, the orange uh, surrounding the red. Um, and that, again, was a community-led effort. Uh, it was originally purchased by the community and then uh, transferred ownership to the county through a purchase. Um, so then that leads us to the third part of this acquisition, which is what we're talking about today, and that's the Smith property. That's another view of it. So <clears throat> let's talk briefly about why we're acquiring the Smith property. <clears throat> so in the, the map on the left of the screen, you can see the green shaded area is our existing Bucks Landing Park that we acquired in 2020. From that uh, property, the public currently can access the existing boat ramp um, via that dotted line which crosses the Smith property. So when we acquired the Bucks Landing property, we were able to obtain a five-year license agreement with the Smiths. Um, that's set to terminate in 2025. Uh, and beyond that, we have no guarantee that the public would have access to that boat ramp. And so we had the opportunity to acquire the Smith property and ensure that the public will have access uh, in perpetuity. So then, of course, the other reason are the natural resources of the, the property. is significant. The majority of the property is uh, comprised of salt marsh habitat and is um, home to salt marsh harvest mouse, ridgeways rail, and black rail. All of those have been observed uh, on the property, in fact. And... Um, these, of course, are endangered species and important to us all. All right, so some of the acquisition details. It's a 7.3-acre site that would be added to our existing 30-acre uh, Bucks Landing Park. Um, one acre of the property is uh, what we consider to be developed, and uh, 6.3 acres is uh, comprised of wetland, that salt marsh habitat. So the fair market value of the property, um, based on an appraisal, is $1.75 million dollars. Uh, and we're providing an additional $100,000 to the seller for property cleanup. And with that, uh, next steps, due diligence period expired on September 18th, so that has now passed. Um, the seller cleanup period expires March 17th of 2023, and uh, we will close escrow by March 30th of 2023. 
Um, a lot has transpired since we gave the presenta presentation back in September. So the property is, uh, the property cleanup is uh, pretty far along. Um, and we haven't established a close of escrow date yet, but it's looking like it could be as early as mid-February, mid um, but more to come on that. Um, so I, I was asked to give a, a brief synopsis of the questions that we received from the commission as well. So the commission had questions about the appraisal and how uh, the land was valued, and we explained that the appraisal was uh, completed and determined based on the value of the land uh, with the business operating on it that it had been operating there for the previous decade or more. Um, and then there was also a question about the uh, condition of the boat ramp and the use of the boat ramp. And so the, we, we do have plans to make some safety improvements to the boat ramp so that the um, existing uses at the boat ramp can remain into the future. And with that, I will give Carl the last slide to talk about the remaining fund balance. So the message that came with this slide is that uh, the between the Martha property acquisition and or the Easton Point acquisition and the Smith property acquisition, uh, we we depleted the Measure A acquisition fund as it as it had accumulated through the term of Measure A 1.0. That that's there's not a missing K or M there. That that literally is uh, seven and seven hundred and seventy six dollars was left in the fund balance uh, after we made all these allocations, which is great, right? I mean that's that's what that's what you want to end up with. So. The Measure A 2.0 is underway. Um, the incomes are coming in uh, starting this month. Uh, the last thing I'll note is that in the interim, actually there's another large breaking acquisition that uh, we're working on that we took to the board, and that's the Bald Hill, Mount Baldy acquisition here in Ross. The district made an $850,000 allocation to support the purchase of Mount Baldy, and it's not coming out of Measure A because that was depleted. Instead, it's coming out of open space uh, funds. So uh, with that, I, I guess I can also add that the commission, the commission's follow-up questions related to the Martha property uh, back in September related, I think, similarly to some questions around the appraisal and the highest and best use that the appraiser used there. And the answer to that question was that they um, were preserving at least a density of 43 homes consistent with the stipulated judgment uh, there's been a, a lot of legal history uh, related to the Martha Company and its um, intended development of the property, and right now there seems to be a legally protected um, entitlement for 43 units, and that's what the appraisal was based on. Thank you. How many units? 43. Thank you very much. Any comments or questions from commissioners? Public? The public? Online? Yes, we have Larry Minicus. Please unmute. Go ahead. Yeah, thank, thank you for the presentation. And um, as Craig Richardson knows, um, Bucks Landing is near and dear to my heart. I, I utilize it for uh, kayaking, as other people do. And, and uh, there's a mention of improvement to the boat ramp. And so there's the boat ramp and the dock. And so I'm not sure whether there's he's referring to the dock because the dock is in quite decrepit uh, condition. And with the boat ramp, if it's below really four feet, you really don't want to launch because the bay mud comes right up. And, and generally, if, if, if I don't have a five-foot tide, I'll go over to McGinnis and launch from there. It'd be really nice to see uh, some 
true improvement there. And the property looks great, I have to say. I've been watching it and really so pleased to see the, uh, the, the junkyard now gone. And um, notice even earlier today I was out and that the whole area is flooded or near flooded uh, from, this, from the king tides right now. And that's, that's my comment. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sir, we're done. There are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay. Any additional comments from commissioners? Thank you. Great job. Really good job. Great to see uh, acquisitions in action uh, as uh, expanding the park projects uh, to make them better is, is, a, is a great task. Good, good, good job. Thank you, Commissioner Brown. I, I, at first, I thought you were complimenting our presentation, and I, my repost was going to be, well, we've had a lot of practice at this point. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, thank you. Appreciate your, your kind words. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. We move to um, item number 10, the project update on the proposed Stafford Lake Asphalt Pump Tract. That's a, an information item, too. The staff will provide that informational update on the planning and design progress of the proposed asphalt pump tract at Stafford Lake Park. And this is another one that uh, we're redoing it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Thank you, commissioners. Uh, and previously, Tara McIntyre, who is our um, uh, principal landscape architect, gave this presentation, and she is the expert for sure, but she couldn't make it today, so I am uh, doing my best here. Uh, so uh, this is a, a, a potential project we've been planning for quite some time, um, you know, the, it's been really amazing. The, the bike park at Stafford Lake has been open, I think, about seven years, and it's really changed the visitation in that park. We have a lot more families coming out to the park. It's become a real focal point. It's visited almost, uh, you know, every day, uh, but it is closed during the winter because it's made out of dirt, and, uh, you know, the, those features would be destroyed pretty quickly if people were riding them when it was wet. So uh, there's been a lot of interest um, in uh, asphalt pump track um, at the park, and our, our partners with uh, Friends of Stafford Lake Bike Park have identified that as a potential need. And additionally, there's a whole group of folks that uh, love this kind of, of riding. It's, there's you know, not just bikes, but other uh, scooters, skateboards can ride this, these features. Um, they're accessible for all ages. I mean, if you go to the bike park now, there are kids in ba my own son started riding his balance bike around the pump tracks of the bike park when he was like four or five and uh, and loves it. There's kids' birthday parties there all the time, so it's very accessible to many ages. Um, uh, and so uh, this is just a map of the of Stafford Lake Park, um, the uh, bike park. Gosh, it's very hard to see, but it's in the left hand side there. Um, uh, the typical, the way that a pump track, uh, looks, that's, you know, it's made out of dirt, looks like that. Um, but this all season pump track, asphalt pump track looks like these pictures, you know, it loops around. It's got a series of, um, you know, rollers. So essentially you can, um, without pedaling or pushing on a skateboard, you can, uh, you know, maintain energy through it, uh, um, and there's lots of different visitors that utilize them. Uh, here's, you know, an overhead shot of, of an existing 
pump asphalt pump track you can see here um, <clears throat> there's you know very specialized uh, uh, crews that build these things all around the the world and um, and you know it's it's actually been a really neat thing is having uh, one thing that's changed recently is we hired a maintenance equipment operator for our bike park, Eric Morales, who's uh, started out a seasonal with us, and he's uh, an amazing bike rider himself. And so uh, he's able to, you know, build these things and understands, you know, the the, the way that folks use them. Um, uh, so it, anyway, that's that's more with our dirt pump tracks, but but it sort of takes somebody who who uses those kinds of facilities to to build and maintain them. Here's an, another example of this type of facility. Uh, another example here. Um, and uh, this is, you can see in that red uh, rectangle there, that's the potential site. It's currently used as an overflow parking lot uh, adjacent to um, Nevada Boulevard there. Um, and that star there is where it is. It's. Uh, just a little bit uh, before you get to the bike park, if you go to Stafford Lake Park. Um, we've been engaging with key stakeholders uh, around uh, you know, this potential project and planning. Obviously, the Friends of Stafford Lake Bike Park are a key partner, and they've been helping to raise money for uh, this project. Also with the environmental community, um, with North Marine Water, because of course that is the drinking water uh, there at Stafford Lake Park. Um, the Dominic Grassi is the rancher across the street, very close by, and Novato Fire, who does, um, you know, a lot of the emergency response there. Also, um, the Federations of Great and Rancheria. This is a really important, Stafford Lake overall is a really important um, cultural site for the tribe, and so um, we've had tribe around this planning. Uh, again, this is a picture of the proposed site, uh, uh, and um, you know, essentially some of the elements. It would be uh, both the tracks, kids, you know, two different areas. One for um, kids who are just learning that are linked together. Uh, parking lot, shade structure, site furnishings, um, native plantings and irrigation, uh, sidewalks. Everything would be accessible. Accessible restrooms and stormwater management. And here's just an uh, overview of, um, I think this was some sort of initial concepts, um, and this is just showing how it evolved through engagement with partners, um, and I think this is close to where it is now as a concept, and I think this is, yeah, again, um, current sort of how the design has evolved. And this is just another view of that. You can see there's sort of two, a kid's pump track, a main pump track, a parking area, restrooms, viewing area. So one of the things we found with the bike park is that, <clears throat> you know, as many, as much as people want to ride it, there's also just a lot of people, parents who are there watching their kids. And with our skate parks, with other features, it always helps to have places for parents and, and other folks to uh, be there while their kids are are enjoying that park feature. Um, more views of it with the topography and the grading and the layout 
and uh, potential funding sources, so private money. The Friends have really been a great partner raising private money. We also have um, potentially a, a grant from the state, and uh, Measure A funds would also help support uh, this project. And uh, what are we working on? Um, we've completed uh, biological assessments. We're really currently in the cultural uh, site assessment work, um, and, uh, and that will inform uh, CEQA once we get to that point. And uh, so working on uh, construction plans, that's ongoing. Um, this timeline may look further out because the rains have slowed down some of our uh, cultural uh, investigations. And that concludes the presentation. Thank you, Max. Any comments from commissioners? Uh, Bruce? Just a really quick one. I saw part of Stafford Lake was flooded. This, it's the, the flooding wouldn't affect this area. No, yeah, and it's actually, that's like a, a normal thing that in most rainy years, the, the turf areas uh, in what we call areas one and two and then the um, lower picnic areas get flooded right. uh, because the lake... But it wouldn't come level. up to this high. No, that's one of, we've been trying, as we're planning new features for the park, we're trying to plan them outside of the area that gets inundated now and then also looking forward, North Marin Waters potentially considering raising the dam level, so we're trying to make sure that features like this are also out of that level. Larry? Max, could you give us a little more information on the soft scape areas that indicated as green on the site plans? I mean, what's intended for that, those spaces? So, like this, uh, the planted areas there, the so essentially, there's uh, um, oh, you guys. I don't know if you can see my slides here. Um, you know, essentially, there's a parking area. There are the two uh, um, pump track areas. There would be trees and shrubs planted. You know, essentially native drought tolerant trees and shrubs. And uh, and then of course, like one thing that's really important is just building in uh, drainage and um, uh, you know, so that's sort of been an important thing at the bike park, their existing bike park as well, and so there's drainage features. So those little that. green areas that are inside the, the park itself are, are not grass? It's not like turf grass. It's, you know, it's sort of like what's within the existing bike park annual, you know, grasses and, and you know, Any native plant shrubs. drought-tolerant materials. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't, I don't, uh, there wouldn't be, beyond like drip irrigation, there wouldn't be, you know, sprinklers or anything like that. Members of the public? Thank you, Max. Good presentation, as we say. <laughs> My name's Al Bauman, and um, I was a commissioner, so I know what it's like sitting up there and when it gets later in the day, so I'll try not to be too boring. Uh, Friends of Stafford Lake Bike Park was originated to facilitate any way we could in the building of this bike park. And um, it's been hugely successful. And right now our project is to help in any way we can to build this feature of the park. Uh, we call it a pump BMX track, and that's because of the way the terrain is, is uh, 
is made and designed. And it, uh, Max is right. The idea is to propel yourself with your body English as opposed to pedals. But uh, this track features everything on two wheels. And so the skateboarders are going to be out there and uh, the rollerbladers, um, the kids on their scooters, and, of course, the bikes. Um, this has taken a little longer than I anticipated. I thought I'd left parks a long time ago, <laughs> but I'm glad I right. haven't. <laughs> um, the real object of this is because the bike park is closed so much of the time and the maintenance is so expensive uh, and very labor-intensive to do dirt, particularly those large lumps that you see that are jumps that uh, the, the lips have to be designed they have to be rebuilt every year. And we miss about three months at least in the wintertime uh, along with last week and the week before. <laughs> um, so this, this is an asphalt-covered track. It's a hard, hard uh, surface. Uh, it's wider than most of them look like in, the, in those pictures. Uh, you, we do think people should, of course, wear the helmets and the knee pads and the elbow pads, but it's surprisingly safe, and it's designed so that those, tr those two areas can be linked, but um, so that the kids could have their own place to ride the younger kids, and the older kids that are less experienced can build their way up. Progressive uh, improvements in skills is a big part of um, what this park is meant to be designed for. Um, it almost takes no maintenance once you build it. The drainage is all completely engineered. It doesn't need to be sprinkled, uh, watered like the track that we have, the tracks that we have right now. Um, we're raising right now um, money. We have a pocketbook, and we've already been able to help out with some of the features on the park, some of the maintenance, and even some outsourcing. Um, but we're looking to fill our $100,000 grant that we have right now, and that, with what we have, will pay for a big chunk of this. Of course, if you keep making it so beautiful, <laughs> the costs are only going to go up. <laughs> it's really a gorgeous structure. Um, so I appreciate this, the uh, support that we've had before from the commission, and the staff has been great, and um, the public loves it. So uh, I hope you'll continue to stay behind us here and... Then, then you'll come out and take a ride. Then, Sal. Any okay? More public, more public comments? Okay. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me, Nona Dennis. Uh, <clears throat> I want to say that, that uh, the environmental roundtable was offered an opportunity <clears throat> to go out to Stafford Lake to look at possible mm -hmm. sites for the pump track. One of them was on the other side, which was removed from the, uh, from the, uh, the current bike park. And uh, the only, our only concern was that this is the lower portion of the, of the overall uh, bike park complex. And it comes fairly close to probably one of Stafford Lake's principal natural resource areas, which is a very wide willow corridor, a... Uh, an amazing bird sanctuary, shall we say, which is not too distant. So we wanted to see where the pump track would occur uh, in relation to the drainage into the riparian corridor and so forth. And we were satisfied that it was sufficiently distant that it would not interfere with the, with the bird activity which goes on in that corridor. So I just wanted to say that we had an opportunity to look at this from an environmental perspective, uh, notwithstanding the fact that it's going to be a very developed uh, piece of the of the overall park complex. Thanks very much. Thank you. 
Any comments online? Chair Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, bring it back to the commission for any additional comments. The staff, any follow up? Okay, we move to the next item, which is the number item 11. It's also an information item. It's project update on the proposed Royce Railwood restoration project. Staff will present an update on the planning and design efforts of the potential restoration project within the Royce Redwood Open Space Reserve. That's Thank you, commissioners. And I'll turn it over to John Campo who's going to present this. But this is a really cool project and actually fortuitous that we come back to you because we're going to we're hoping to release the CEQA document for this in just a couple weeks. So this is really a great opportunity just to remind folks of uh, what this project's all about. Thanks, Max, and thank you, commissioners, for the opportunity to talk about this one more time. Um, let's see. Oh, you got it. Um, so this is the Roy's Redwoods restoration project that I'm going to be talking about. And so I think most of you probably know Roy's Redwoods. It's in San Geronimo Valley. And so right there in that red circle, that's the project area for this project. And it really focuses on the old-growth Redwood Grove, which is only one of four in Marin County. And so this is a, a one-TAM project. Um, it's led by Marin County Parks and Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy. And we're also working with um, Presky Chatham to help with the hydrologic design and restoration design group to help uh, plan out the access. And so this project was first identified in 2016 as a one-TAM priority. And over the next couple of years, we spent a good amount of time scoping the project and doing a, com a community-based site analysis. And then in 2019 to 21, we did a lot of design refinement, reflecting back to the community what we learned and stakeholder discussions and then tweaking it here and there. And now um, we're, like Max said, um, we're hoping to release the CEQA document to the public um, in early February. And so to develop the site analysis, we worked with um, community leaders, experts in their field, uh, neighbors, and we really took a deep dive into learning about the site. Um, we had a lot of public meetings. We had site visits and kind of gathered thoughts, wrote them down, and then we added that to what we already knew about the site. And so Spotted Owl, we've known Spotted Owls live in Royce Redwoods. We have 20 years of data um, you know, with their nesting habitat and just following their trends. We also learned a lot about the hydrology and um, what the, this is Larson Creek that flows through Royce Redwood, so some of the incision and um, challenges that that creek has. We studied the social trails and the existing trail network. Royce Redwoods, I think in other projects have talked about this, that this is a good example of a site that never really had any planned access. There was, <coughs> for this particular spot, there's one trail in that whole area, but of course, Royce, the redwood trees are very popular, so people go everywhere. So as a result, we have a, a network of social trails. <coughs> we also did visitor use surveys to learn where folks were going, why they were going there, and no surprise, they were going to see the redwoods. Um, but it gave us a lot of insights and circulation patterns and whatnot. And so we took all that information and brought it back to the community and had more community meetings and 
again, heard thoughts and, uh, on what we've presented and had further opportunities to tweak it. And from all those conversations, we developed project goals. And <coughs> so these are four <coughs> core project goals that I'll talk about. The first one being uh, restoring the hydrologic process <coughs> of Roy's Redwoods. And so this is a photo of <coughs> which has um, kind of illustrates stream incision. <coughs> and if you go out there during the winter months, um, the, f the water rushes through this old growth grove very quickly. And there is there's kind of a, a new movement being coined, the slow water movement, similar to slow food, but slow water. There's a book out called Water Always Wins, and it talks about how uh, all the values and benefits of slowing water down. And so I, I really like this uh, image. The squares on the left show um, the stream bank that's disconnected from the floodplain. And in this image, there's beavers building dams. And if you go to the right of the screen, the beavers have built dams that slow the water down. They spread it out. They reconnect the creek to the floodplain. And they also, if you look at the side angle, it raises the water table, um, which is really important for the resiliency of the redwood trees. We're not bringing beavers in, but what we're talking about doing is um, strategically placing logs um, to, to slow the creek down, slow the water down, spread it out, and hopefully catch sediment and, and regrade the channels. So another project goal is to restore and enhance the health of the redwood forest. Um, again, the social trail network has caused a lot of compaction. So if you see the red polygons on this map, that's illustrative of heavy use areas that coincide with big redwood trees. And so what, here's a good image that kind of illustrates that. You know, the trail network, just, people just go wherever they want there. And it's really compacted soils over the decades. Um, so we would go in and, and decompact those soils and break them up and uh, prepare for revegetation. And so looking at that social trail network, we would replace that with a legible uh, and much more deliberate and intentional trail network. And so this would, we would wayfind these trails and make it very easy to understand and accessible. And so this is, you know, just an image of what one of the trails might look like with a lush understory and a very identifiable trail. And to get that lush understory would break up the soils, but would also grow native plants in our nursery, which I think um, somebody, Max, might be talking about in just a bit. And, you know, in our discussions with the community, there's been a long history of um, outdoor education and community involvement, engagement at Roy's. And so we, we certainly want to lean into that, uh, work with the community to revegetate Roy's and steward Roy's, uh, which from all accounts, people are very excited about. Um, so another goal is to develop an access and discovery trail. And so in 2016, um, our board passed the IAP plan, Inclusive Access Plan. And so Roy's was identified in that plan as one of the first um, open space projects to be considered for an access and discovery trail. And so if we, if this project is approved and we implement it, it will be the first access and discovery trail in our open space. And so open space would be 
it would be a great trail. It would be accessible for everybody. Um, it would be wide and flat. Um, if you were in a wheelchair or had some issue, it would be accessible for you as well. And so on this map, the green trail and the purple trail would be fully um, IAP compliant, and so it would be fully accessible. The beige trail would be very accessible in terms of it would be flat and comfortable, but it might not accommodate a wheelchair. And so um, this is a watercolor rendition of what the boardwalk might look like that would be fully accessible. And the, this is a watercolor of the main entrance, and so that's Nicasio Valley Road with the parking shoulder. Um, and this, is, this shows that at the bottom of the screen, that one blue car, that is an ADA spot that we're planning to, to put into place to take one of the existing spots, convert it to an ADA spot. That would then be connected right to the ramp um, that would be fully, uh, part of the fully accessible trail. Um, also, we want to get people off the road quickly. Uh, that road, the cars travel fast. So in the middle of that site, we would create another access point. And so you see the, the, where the, where the, the image on the right has stairs. So we would be installing those. And we would move the existing restroom out of the floodplain and off to the side and have an accessible ramp connected to that as well. And so finally, our last goal was to maintain an immersive experience that's consistent with the Redwood, um, the restoration goals. And so part of the visitor use survey, we got a sense of where people are going and what they're doing and why they're going there. And so this, this photo, um, you know, obviously people love to climb on this tree, use this tree as part of the trail system. So we've incorporated that tree in the trail system. So if you wanted to walk across the top of that tree, that would be part of the trail system. And we also heard that there's a strong desire to continue with outdoor education. And so in the middle of the preserve in this red circle, we've identified a, a nature exploration area and so this would be an area where school groups could get a permit to have an outdoor classroom. Uh, and uh, this would be a suitable place for fort building, but we would discourage it in other areas of the preserve. Um, and finally, as we've been planning this for several years, we've been looking out for uh, PG&E, flood control, anybody that has to remove a redwood tree. Uh, we've been you know, putting our, our our feelers out and trying to get dibs on them. And so we've got a pretty good stash of, of nice redwood logs that we'll use as part of the restoration. And so when we think about the next steps, over these six years or so, we've identified certain funding streams. Uh, we have $5,000 committed from our ADA program. We have philanthropic funds from one TAM members, uh, Measure A funds. We were uh, recently awarded a $1.5 million grant from state parks. And we're also applying for a restoration grant with WCB. So we're hopeful for that as well. Um, this is a little outdated, but the, um, as I've said, the CEQA, the public review document, will be available early February, so just a few weeks from now. And then at that point, if the project is approved, um, we'll, we'll have a public comment period. And then if the project is approved, we'll continue with uh, regulatory agency permitting and project implementation in the summer of 2023. And that's it. Thank you.
Thank you. Any comments, question from commissioners? Your presentation choked me up. I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> Comment Great. from public? It's a beautiful plan. Online? Yes, we have Larry Minicus. Please unmute. Go ahead. Yes, I'll be, be, be very brief. And I would just, you know, this is a really a class A project and very much worth the time of our new commissioners in particular to take a tour. And I would strongly encourage you to see what we're dealing with out there and the opportunities for restoration. And with that, thank you so much. The next speaker is Terry Thomas. Please unmute. Hi, John. Thanks for that great presentation. I was um, wondering, you mentioned that the uh, environmental document might be released in two weeks. What would be the timetable for comment? That's my question. Thank you. Chair Guardado, there are no additional speakers in the queue. To bring it back to the commissioners, for any additional comments or staff to, to answer the question. Yeah, it would be a 30-day comment period. Okay. Uh, no, okay, we, well, we move to the next item. Oh, sorry, sorry Bruce. Mm -hmm. just, wait. Bruce. Sorry, so it just, it sort of occurred to me when the last speaker was commenting, it might be a good idea after the document's released to, to pull together a, a tour for people who might be interested. Um, some of the commissioners are new and maybe haven't gone out there, and if, if you have nothing else to do someday there, John, we, we should all go out and maybe tramp around. It might be fun to see. Well, I, I would love to. Yeah, I'm not sure how we set that up, but okay. Yeah, that'd be great. It, ask Chris. He does everything. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Moving on on item number 12, Native Plan Nursery Program Overview and Information Item. Staff will present an overview of the na Native Plan Nursery Operations, an accomplishment located in, at the Lagoon Park Field Office. Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, again, Max Corton, Director of Marin County Parks. And again, apologies. The Asia who gave this presentation before is much better at it than I am, but I will uh, do my best. So uh, several years ago, measure a pro one Measure A project was um, rebuilding our uh, facility, our, our corporation yard and staff facility at Lagoon Park right here across the street. And when we did that, there was the opportunity to construct a native plant nursery. Um, and essentially, this is following the example of the National Park Service locally at GGNRA and uh, at the Presidio and other places that have a really amazing uh, program. It's, uh, it's both a... Um, let's see, it's both a really great opportunity for... Uh, engaging the community it's it's something not every uh, community member has the physical ability to get out to trails and parks and remote <laughs> areas and so it's very accessible for people with disabilities they can uh, do work at the nursery additionally it's really great for our restoration work and even just the aesthetic landscaping and parks but uh, it's everything from collecting seed for plants that are specifically, um, uh, you know, live in the areas and are adapted to the area, to our parks and preserves, growing out the plants and then using them for restoration projects. 
So uh, where can you find it? It's right in Lagoon Park. Uh, there it is in the yellow circle. Um, another great place to visit if you, uh, we can, I can help any of you if you want to go out and check it out. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, and there's a shade house uh, there, <laughs> a greenhouse. And, um, and so this is a little bit of the timeline, uh, collecting seeds, growing them out, uh, um, developing the plants. This is what the, the nursery looked like in February. It was just sort of the bare bones, um, and this is it in August. And really, um, Asia, who presented be this before, was the force that made these improvements happen. She's really incredible, breathed life into the facility, along with many, many, many volunteers. Um, and a huge thank you to their time. And all of that work really inspired us. Uh, we brought to the board a position to fund a nursery uh, coordinator, and so that person uh, will be hired soon that was approved by the board. So um, uh, there's all the facilities. There's also beds with uh, plants to collect seed from, a lot of work with native uh, milkweed um, for monarchs. Uh, and this is just a little bit of sort of the seasonal timeline for growing out plants. And this is some pictures of folks collecting seeds and processing them. Uh, there's a lot that goes on with seed storage. Uh, here's, uh, you know, as the seeds are first planted into flats and they're just sprouting out as seedlings. And then they're potted up and the volunteers doing the work and then planting them out as part of restoration projects or other landscaping in our parks and preserves. And, um, you know, I just, I think it's, maybe it's later in here, but just to note, there's a lot of care that has to be taken to make sure that, uh, you know, plant diseases are not introduced through, uh, through this work. Um, there's a lot of great uh, um, partnerships, um, with the Marin Master Gardeners, uh, Autistry Studios that works with, uh, I think, kids with autism, and then with schools uh, and other, California Native Plant Society, others. Uh, this last year, we had 24 volunteer events, 400 person hours, over 50 volunteers, lots of really, really great work done. And, uh, yeah, again, this is some of the... the uh, important work that's done to make sure that we don't uh, infect the plants with plant diseases like Phytophthora, um, funguses that then we could introduce into parts of our parks or preserves that don't already have those, uh, those diseases. And uh, some of the projects, the Frog Pond, Restoration of Mount Burdell, uh, Grasslands, Ring Mountain, Stafford Lake Park, Hal Brown Park at Creekside, uh, lots of really great work into the future. That Roy's Redwood project, we're growing out plants for um, Pacheco Pond, um, uh, the Bolinas Y project, Cascade Canyon, lots of others. And uh, it's, this is something that's just getting started, so I'm really excited to actually, uh, Asia's position was seasonal position, so we're really excited to have a year-round person helping us at the nursery. And that concludes the presentation. Thank you, Max. Questions from commissioners, comments? 
Just want to mention that, uh, as I, I think I mentioned this in the, in the when when this was originally done, that we here human services are doing like garden projects. We would like to connect with this project too, and maybe come to our meetings, hill meetings, if they are not. But I would like to invite them. Probably we'll, we'll talk after after Sounds to get to get great. the connection. Me members from the public, any comments? Yeah, I'm glad I came to this meeting. <laughs> I thought, it's time to get out of the house, Nona. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to come in person. So much on the, uh, on the agenda. Uh, this, this story of the, we have other native plant nurseries in Marin County, in the, the federal parks and so forth, but, but this is a kind of remarkable homegrown story of, of a kind of the pieces, I won't say shambles, but the pieces of a nursery had been around for some time but never really formalized into a, to, to a real garden structure. So here comes along this kind of amazing young woman who is a seasonal aide, but brings a history that is absolutely rich in her own kind of combination of growing plants, understanding how important it is for people to be engaged in growing plants, and thereby kind of invest themselves in the native plant, the restoration, and so forth, that you've also heard about, such as at Roy's Redwoods. I was so intrigued when I learned about it. I think she gave a presentation here, yeah. an earlier one, and I, I missed that. <clears throat> but I heard about it and uh, read about it, and I was so intrigued by her own background. Just go online, and you'll find that Asia Matthews has an incredible month in. She just spent her vacation in Nepal, where she lived for several years and actually got the the, the village women to grow their own their own plants. Uh, long history of of managing native plants at a huge nursery over in in the East Bay, which is often the source of the native plants that the park department has been using in some of their other restoration projects. So Asia Matthews, who uh, went off, is coming back, no longer as a seasonal aide, but I was really really gratified to learn that she had was going to be coming back to a full-time position. I was so intrigued by the story of her that I went and interviewed her and wrote a story for the Marin Conservation League newsletter, I think in the, in the, the, the previous edition. And I, I, I suggest that if you have, have access to that, that you might read more about her. Uh, she is a, 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 a kind of a force of nature, and it's, it's a wonderful story that she is going to be able to continue this nursery, which is such a, an important part of what the park department does. Thanks very much. Thank you. Any online comments? Chair Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Bring it back to the commissioner for additional staff for last follow-up. No. Okay. Moving on to the measure A and item number 13, measure A. Fiscal year 22-23 budget update. This is an information item too. Staff will present an update on the fiscal year 22-23 budget for Measure A. Since the re-implementation of Measure A, Park staff has been working on budget adjustment that will include the new revenue and increased expenditures that will go before the Board of Supervision. Turn this to... Chris or Max? Chris, right? Yes, sir. My okay. turn. Um, 
So thanks again for your patience. Uh, we're, we're almost there. I think this is the last of the presentations. Uh, and this item, again, it was presented back in September. Uh, and, and really what the intention of this presentation um, is, is to inform your commission of the, the budget adjustment that um, the, the department took before the board back uh, in September. Um, for those of you that recall, the, the election for Measure A 2.0 uh, that we now are referring to it as took place back in early June, and the annual budget development cycle for the calendar or for the county um, usually requires us to submit all of our um, budget information for the coming fiscal year, uh, you know, as early as March and April, and then it goes through various iterations. We come before your commission with the proposed budget. Uh, you hear, heard from uh, Sarah Minnick earlier today on some potential projects that are going to get it incorporated into next year's budget. Uh, you'll hear more at your March meeting about potential road and trail projects that will get incorporated. So there's this annual development calendar. Well, in order to meet that calendar, we didn't know what the results of Measure A were going to be. While we were optimistic, um, we had to basically budget with the Measure A funds discontinuing. So basically what we were, were um, what we had to do was we programmed the remaining uh, fund balance that was left in Measure A. So essentially the savings account, um, and that's all we had to, to program. And what we focused on was sta the staff that we had on board uh, and some, some very key priority projects that we had started, some important vegetation management work in order to protect the local communities uh, from the threat of wildfire and to continue to advance some of the larger um, adaptation projects that we wanted to keep that uh, inertia going on. So I've got a few slides that we're going to walk through that are going to talk about kind of the actual dollars that were um, that we took as an adjustment. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started. So looking at, at this slide, really what it does is it shows the three primary funds that come into the department. So we, re we receive um, revenue for the open space district, which is a, uh, an annual property tax, um, and that's focused solely um, on our open space preserves. Uh, we also receive funding from the county's general fund area, and that revenue is um, somewhat offset by the fees that we were talking about earlier, uh, as well as other leases and things that we have within the department. And then, obviously, Measure A. So the center column of this, of this slide here um, is showing we, we programmed four, $4.6 million, and that's what we had left, essentially, in the savings account for Measure A. Um, and you'll see the zero there in the middle. That's, that's uh, indicative of the lack of, of, of new revenue coming in. So we had, there was an uncertainty there. So um, that's essentially the, the three main funds coming in. And, you know, in a typical year, we would uh, anticipate that zero in the middle there for Measure A to be about $16 million. So you can see how it was a weird process for us to, um, to, to work through as a, as a team. Um, so looking at, the, uh, at this next slide here, um, you know, programming uh, at the adjustment, we, uh, because the new measure was successful, um, you know, there was a, a, a date of October 1st in which the new sales tax would be implemented, so it would begin collection in October 1st. So essentially um, that would run for this fiscal year. October 1st through June 30th. So that's 
essentially three quarters of a, of a year, of a fiscal year. Um, so with the anticipated revenue of $16 million for a full year, you take three quarters of that number and that backs out to the $12 million adjustment that you see in the center column uh, of, uh, here. So then we subsequently worked with our team uh, to understand what work we wanted to then incorporate into that as far as expenditures. Uh, and we programmed out about uh, just over $11 million of those expenditures. Uh, and the result of that, um, basically, uh, we, we continued to keep that $4.6 million of that fund balance that we originally programmed. And that essentially now gave us funding for the entire fiscal year. So uh, with all of these revisions and the adjustments that we proposed and took forward, um, we ended up programming about $15.7 million in expenditures, which ended up, when things were all said and done with this estimate, this budget estimate, uh, it ended up using about $3.7 million of the original $4.6 million in available fund balance. So that left us, if we were to spend every nickel that we budgeted this fiscal year, that would leave us uh, just under a million dollars in our fund balance for next fiscal year or for potential savings for additional um, capital, pro you know, larger capital projects or funding offsets for fee revenues or things of that nature. So there's, there's, a, we're, there's an expectation that we would have about a million dollars reverting back to our fund balance. Um, moving along and looking at the, the, the sales tax measure as a whole, 65% um, of that, of the new uh, Measure A sales tax goes to our parks and open space program. 15% of the measure goes to our cities, towns, and special districts. And 20% of it goes to um, a sustainable agriculture program. So looking at that, so if you take that $12 million figure, you divide it by 65%, that gives you the 7.8 million. And how we break that down by the ordinance uh, is of the 65% of the 65%, goes to um, the parks and open space for our various, for some staffing, for discretionary project, capital work, et cetera. Uh, and then 25% of that 65% uh, goes specifically to wildfire fuels reduction work. And that uh, this year equates to about just under $2 million. And then 10% uh, of that 65% is set aside for land acquisition. You heard from Carl Summers earlier about the expending down of our Measure A 1.0 to the tune of, I think there was $776 left in, the, in that savings account for land acquisition. So um, we expect to build, start that building back up of that land acquisition account uh, to the tune of $780,000 this year. Uh, looking at 15% for the cities and towns, uh, it's expected that $1.8 million will then be divided up amongst the qualifying cities, towns, and special districts based on their, um, their populations and the, the agreements approved by the Board of Supervisors. Uh, and lastly, looking at the 20% uh, sustainable agriculture program, uh, it's estimated to be about $2.4 million in total. Uh, and of that, 50% of that 20% is set aside for agricultural conservation easements. And those funds are used to put deed restrictions onto working agriculture lands to guarantee that those lands continue uh, to be to remain as working agriculture lands, 
uh, as opposed to being subdivided or you know converted into non-agricultural working lands. So, so about 1.2 million dollars will be set aside for that, uh, and then 20 percent of the 20 percent uh, is set aside for the Marin Resource Conservation District, and that's estimated to be around 480 thousand uh, dollars this year. And then lastly, the new um, Sustainable Agriculture Grant Program, which is 30 percent of the 20 percent. Uh, and you'll be hearing more about that here at the commission. I think we'll be coming back to your commission in March with some additional information uh, on that program. But it's estimated that that'll be about $720,000 this, this uh, fiscal year. So uh, that's the measure as a whole. Now taking a little bit more of a closer look at the 65% um, that comes to the Parks and Open Space program. Um, and I should be that a little bit more specific. It's the 65% of the 65% that comes to the park and open space program. Um, and I guess I should say it does include the wildfire fuels reduction program. So uh, this is how that funding is broken out by program. So we're estimating to spend of the Measure A funds about just under a half million dollars for road and trail management work. And again, there's additional projects funded through the open space district fund that are funding additional road and trail work, uh, about 1.5 million in vegetation management, um, an additional uh, 1.6 towards the wildfire fuels reduction, uh, 389, just under uh, 390,000 for wetland restoration and erosion control, about 3.9 or just under $4 million uh, towards parks, facilities, and landscape improvements, uh, looking at about 180 or 1.8 million in public engagement and equity and then uh, science and research to the tune of about just under $320,000 and roughly a half million dollars towards administration. So, uh, and lastly, I wanted to just take a quick look at some of the position changes with this new Measure A 2.0. Um, we went to the Board of Supervisors with this adjustment and subsequently it was approved uh, in which we added uh, several positions to adjust to this new Measure A 2.0. Um, specifically the increased efforts around wildfire fuels reduction um, and it really allowed us to kind of take a pause and look at our organizational structure uh, and make sure that we were you know we had several vacancies that had um, been you know cr had been left unfilled for the last couple of years towards the end of measure a 1.0 because the funding security was uncertain going forward um, we weren't able to go forward filling those positions because you didn't have the guaranteed funding. So we, we kind of took pause there in the last two years. So um, we were able to get back to the board after having good internal conversations about what was the best fit going forward. And uh, we were able to add some positions, delete some positions, uh, and it ended up being a net increase of, of right around $300,000 after everything was, was, was all said and done. And since the time of uh, the board adopting these adjustments, we've worked closely with our partners in HR and our hiring team, and we've many of these positions that you're seeing on the screen have already been filled, um, and we're we're actually nearing 100% staffing uh, for the first time in, in quite some time. So our staff are, are on board; they're geared up. We're excited to get get uh, well. Actually, they've been working hard preparing for the spring, and obviously dealing with the the storm responses and, and such. So. Um, so again, it, this is a lot of information in a very compressed and dense moment. We will be back before your commission again, as I mentioned in March, 
with some road and trail and some additional vegetation management um, potential projects that we'll be looking at incorporating into our budget and then we'll be back f before your commission in May um, with uh, a general overview of our entire budget that we will be preparing uh, to present to the board uh, in June during the budget hearings. So with that, again, apologies for the long meeting and certainly for throwing a lot of information at you really quickly here, but I'd be happy to entertain any questions that you may have on this information. Thanks, Chris. Any comments from uh, Pat? Yeah, excellent presentation. Of, I think it <clears throat> covers a diversity of, uh, of uh, program specialists that are incorporated within the budget, so it was very interesting. I did have one question about uh, one of the positions that we did the irrigation specialist. I know, um, how, how are you gonna, because when you have an irrigation problem, it demands attention, so how, how are you gonna resolve that? Correct, so, so we actually created the irrigation specialist position uh, early on in the first iteration of Measure A, and we went through, uh, I, actually at the time I was the superintendent, and we went through a series of recruitments, and the, the pay that the position was set at, and the the candidates that we were drawing, we just were, we weren't getting the, the candidates, and we weren't accomplishing the, the the goals. And it was, I think it was lofty expectations to try and, you know, for what it, the pay was commensurate with to the expectation of, the data analysis and the you know the the skill set that they were originally intending for, just didn't match. And what we found was we under we had underfilled that position with the traditional landscape worker too, and that person was able to come on board. And we were still able to handle the fundamental irrigation work, uh, and the and the controller operation and the the repairs, but we it's the central control system and that higher level that we were trying to get at when and we did a, a survey of other agencies and what the pay was uh, was at, at that scale, and the the what we determined was it just wasn't a good fit for what we were looking for, so we kept the position funded at the at the level of the landscape services worker two position. So essentially what we did was clean it up and we were no longer what's called underfilling a position. We deleted that position and, and created the landscape services worker position, if that makes sense. Okay. Any other questions, comments? From public, online? Chair Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, moving on to item, oh, bring it back to staff any okay uh, moving on to item number 14 any com commissioner that's a commissioner report and information items my, my. I've been participating with the working group for sustainable agriculture with staff as asked last time okay any any other report feedback from staff or public or online okay so we move on to, without further ado, we uh, either adjourn the meeting and announce that the next meeting will be scheduled for March 16, 2023. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for attending today. It's a nice day too. Good job. Good job, gentlemen and ladies. And thank you. Good job, Good thank you. Thank you. Hey, Chris. There you go. Great. Don't screw up.